Hey, this is Dave Fryer from ProjectManagement.com, right outside the third annual large-scale Scrum Conference in New York. And I'm sitting here with Kareem Harvat. Say hi. Hello. Dabo Panchal. Hello. And Richard Chang. Hello, hello. And these gentlemen have spent the better part of the day surrounded by less people. So what happened at the conference today, guys? Other than Kareem's amazing talk, which we're going to hear about in a second. We'll hear about that later. Richard, what did you enjoy? Yeah, I mean, the venue was nice. It was very nice. Uh, we heard a... Uh, story about less at Nokia Networks. Um, had some open space sessions. Cream gave his talk. Okay. And did you learn anything today, Davo? Yes. Do you want to share with the folks what you learned at the conference? Well, I learned about the competing values framework that um, that Kareem did a talk about. I was familiar with it, and it was a good refresher. Plus, I like the exercise a lot, so maybe you'll get a chance to talk about your exercise. I also. Uh, I like how uh, the conference itself tried to create uh, cross-functional teams uh, as table groups. It's a small conference. It's not like the Agile conferences with thousands of people. Right. So creating these small cross-functional teams, uh, I think is a good idea. And Boss said you guys are supposed to rejoin your teams after every session? Yes. Which you're obviously not doing right now. Not at the moment. When I did the 2 o'clock uh, <laughs> rejoin and, and review. I was there for a minute as well. Yeah. Uh, so we just left to talk about... Uh, BMW, which has kind of centered itself around less as a way of scaling. The autonomous uh, car right. division. Sorry, yes, not the entire company BMW. But Kareem, what was your talk about? My talk was about agility and organizational culture, which um, kind of uh, centers on um, a particular tool called the Competing Values Framework, but sort of more broadly, it's are there particular cultures that are more aligned with the agile values and principles um, than others, um, and how do you approach an organization that doesn't share those values? Okay, so what do you, when you talk about different kinds of culture, what can you give some examples? Sure, so, uh, so the framework itself um, talks about uh, two main dimensions um, that are in conflict with each other. One, one is flexibility and adaptiveness. Um, okay. Some organizations are successful if they exhibit those those attributes, uh, and one is uh, stability and control. Um, for example, if you are working in a nuclear power station, you probably want some stability and control, whereas if you are Apple, you probably want flexibility and adaptiveness because you're trying to innovate, um, and both of those things are perfectly valid, um, but they're very different kinds of cultures. That, that would be the first, um, the first um, uh, dimension. And the second is, is kind of your focus. Is it an internal focus on yourself and your processes, or is it an external focus in differentiating yourself from um, from the from the competition in the market, um, and so with those two dimensions, where you end up with those four main culture types, all with very different characteristics, all valuing very different things, um, okay. and then the question is, okay, where are we? Where would we like to be? Uh, and given that, what is uh, an approach that's going to be aligned with what the organisation values? So, how does a culture, a company, figure out what kind of culture it has? I mean, is it able to do that? I mean, as, as with all of these things, all, uh, all models are wrong, but some are useful. Um, okay. I find this one particularly useful um, because um, it's not this one or that one, it's how much of each of those things do we want um, and what is our focus and do we want to rebalance that. So um, what I do is I, I help them through an assessment tool where they decide kind of what's valuable to them and that maps to uh, sort of a, a chart on the organizational culture um, okay. for where they are and where they desire to be and then the conversation is what structural policy behavior changes can we make something tangible uh, in order to shift us from where you are to where you want to be. Do you think that they're able to actually see where they are? I mean when they 
like because most of them it seems to me like if you said what kind of culture have they oh we're totally open we're yeah. totally organic and whatever and they're totally not absolutely and and so and that's why sort of the, the questions aren't are you this or are you that it's it kind of you have a hundred points here are four things um, distribute those hundred points across those four things and so you, they've okay. got to make trade-offs um, because if they put it all in yeah we're super innovative right. what they're doing is they're ignoring something else which might actually be more important for them depending on where they are so and the tool is pretty solid it's based uh, out of uh, decades of research and, and um, and it's been validated over uh, over and over again. So um, I found it super valuable, but as with all of these things, the conversation it drives is the, is the most important thing. thing. Okay, so is there does a, like an ideal cultural area to be in if you want to be able to do Agile, or is it just where you are, wherever you are? Um, so firstly, it's not about what's good and what's bad. It's okay. about what they value, because, I mean, I see this a lot. Are working with organizations and, and there are a lot of agile coaches in there saying you need to be doing these things you need to be doing these things yeah and if that's fundamentally different to what they value um, then I think that's actually a little disrespectful because that's not where they are that's not where they want to be so stop trying to make me do that okay um, and so what I try to do is um, help with the conversation to say look you want to be down here um, what you're asking for is uh, an agile transformation is fundamentally incompatible with that. So here are some things that you can do to make you a little bit better um, for where you are. Or if you really want to do agile, well, you, the, the culture needs to be up here, and, and here are some of the things that do need to change, um, and then the decisions on them. But but it's it's a, it's an eye opener normally, um, and often, most often, um, the outcome of that for me is. Yeah, we, we shouldn't be doing this. Um, you, you might want to do that's, something. That's else. what I was because it's almost like you're putting yourself out of work. At well, well, absolutely. But but I, I think r rather than work with ten organisations and, and fail ten times, um, you know, and maybe um, or, or nine times, maybe I'll, I'll just work with the one. Um, but that's going to be more, far more impactful. You know? and, okay. Uh, and I think there are approaches that are suitable in each of these these four main quadrants. And um, that for me, um, telling them actually you value stability and control over flexibility and adaptiveness, here's an approach that's more in fitting with what you value. Okay, so the answer might be just Agile's maybe not really what you want, you want this other thing. You seem to want this other thing more based on your behavior. Absolutely, um, and then of course there is the approach to change as well. Some people don't want revolution and transformational change, they want small incremental improvements. Yeah. And so th there are approaches that will um, give them that um, and there are approaches that are more transformational so let's talk about something that you could probably stomach uh, for where you are now uh, okay. and I think people mainly appreciate that. So there's all these conversations and you guys, Richard and Dawa, you can talk too if you want. You, you don't have to sit here quietly mm. if you're done with your phone. Yeah, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll let them talk. <laughs> um, there's all these conversations about environment and how organizations are not structured in a way to support Agile often. But that's process stuff. This is kind of a different dimension to it, right? It, 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 all, it all plays in. After saying they can talk, I've jumped right back in again, that's but that's okay. all right. Um, it all plays in because, because actually the structures and the policies create the culture. It's, here's yeah. an example. I, I was in one organization. They said they valued innovation. And I said, okay, so what, what actual management processes or practices or structures or policies do you have that encourages that? Do you give people... 10%, 20% right. of their time where they can yeah, Google. Um, no, was the answer. Um, everything goes through strict um, investment boards and you can't work on something that's not a project that's been funded with a business case. And that's, a, that's kind of not how you get innovation. So you're saying you value this thing, but everything you have in place tells me something else.
Okay. Right. And then he's, he's kind of talking about the diagonal opposite in the computing values framework. He's talking about a control organization wanting to be creative. And the two dimensions that he was talking about is how do you view yourself internally and how do you perceive uh, where you need to be good at. So if you are in the create, create kind of culture, you view yourself internally as a, a flexible, adaptive, organization that is welcoming competition and uh, the opportunity to do something new. But a control-oriented organization views internally uh, everything in a set of procedures and best practices and that this is how you do your work. And they take a lot of pride in being stable, in being uh, compliant and being able to deliver a consistent quality widget time after time. So. When you look at an organization in that diametrical opposite spectrum, it's very, very hard. It's almost impossible for them to make that flip. So probably where they could benefit from is to not go towards being creative as the next step, right. but start uh, on a tangent, either go more competence-oriented or uh, try to focus more on collaboration and then ease their way into creating something new. Okay. Right? And then that's part of the big value behind the competing values framework because when it presents you with these two axes, what it is trying to tell you is anytime you try to make a diagonal jump across, yeah. uh, it, will, it will not work. Okay, but these companies want Agile because Agile is going to make them more creative. They probably... And, and, uh, hang on. And, and if you say, no, you're not ready for this, it doesn't seem like you actually value this, they're going to go find somebody else who's going to take their money. So, so here's here's what we here's what we do. I, I put out often um, different different um, agile or so-called agile approaches, and we talk about safe, we talk about less, we talk about Scrum, we talk about the Kanban method. Um, yeah. Some of those are a little more transformational than others. Okay. Some of them will give you more flexibility and adaptiveness than others. Some are a little more focused on the control um, and incremental change. So, um, yeah, maybe. You, you don't want to go straight from here to here, from, from A to B, but maybe there are a set of intermediate steps in between and a different approach is going to help you as, as kind of a gateway drug into something okay. that is that is more in line with you know, what, what we enjoy um, coaching, but that's not where they are right now. Yeah, okay. I think with these culture changes in general, I mean, culture change is a big thing, culture change across the organization. I think the, the big part of the conversation is what are we trying to get? Like, why are we doing this, right? Because there's no reason to do it, then why are we trying to why are we doing it, right? And so identify with the culture change, what's the value we're trying to achieve from it? Is it employee engagement? Is it being able to innovate better? Is it better quality? Is it better retention, more satisfied customers? Like right. what's the outcome of the culture change other than saying we change culture because why does it matter, right? I think we, once we have that as a basis of change that helps us kind of align how we do it. So don't you think it's kind of weird? I mean, is there's four people in this room and we all spend our working lives trying to help organizations adopt this way of working. But it's almost like we're trying to educate them, like maybe this isn't the food that you want to eat right now. So th I, there are two sides to my answer to this. One, I, I still think that most organizations aren't as flexible and adaptive as they need to be in 2018 and beyond because the, the amount of turbulence and change in the world now is just out of sight more than where it used to be. So suddenly, yeah. where you could be successful, um, being stable and efficient and being controlled, you know, like Ford making the Model T for however many decades and making a ton of money off that, right. um, now it's 
you need to be successful by creating the next thing because um, just Apple as an example, I've used them a couple of times where right? they created the, they created the iPod, hugely successful. Mm -hmm. They created the iPhone, which massively cannibalized that. But if they hadn't done it, someone else would have. Remember where I read this. So this is not my idea at all. But the fact that uh, when you look at Tesla or any other uh, electric vehicles, they are very little car and a lot more software. And that proportion, like if you look at Model T, there was no software in it. Right. Uh, 90s, 2000s, you had some amount of software in it. Maybe you could have a six CD changer and program it to play at random. Maybe that was the extent of software. But now it's more and more software and less and less mechanical. What that does is that it puts all of these new age software companies into being able to play a game that they were never able to play before. Like none of us would bat an eyelid if Apple tomorrow just said we are coming out with a car. Not that I know of or, or anything, but it would be like, yeah, totally, they could do that. They built a phone, they could build a car. Maybe. I mean, but look at all the companies that try to expand into other stuff like Walmart trying to turn into Netflix or whatever. I mean, right. are they really going to be able to do it? No one knows, but the fact that uh, people are biting at, at your heels, uh, that you are now competing when you had a monopoly, all of that is very, very threatening. Yeah. So if they don't have that kind of culture, then they need, maybe not agile, but something that's more adaptive so that they can compete when people are trying to drink their milkshake. They, they, they need processes, yeah. processes and structures in place to help them do that better if adaptiveness is what is what they want you know amazon are pretty good at going into to, to new new business lines right they structure themselves like that and they they value that um over stability and control um, and that's what they uh, consider effectiveness for them um so it really much depends um what you want to achieve so cream and i went to um mike beadle's business agility uh, course about a year ago or so and there's uh, some really good points he brought up there one of them is that hey you know what sometimes you have these dinosaurs walking around and dinosaurs deserve to die because when they die, other things come up, right? And so the danger with a lot of these companies is sometimes they never see the big comet coming, right? They just walk around it's like, oh, we've done it this way. We've always done it this way. We don't really need to change, right? And the danger is that, boom, all of a sudden it's just different now. And now it's too late for us because we're so, so slow and lumbering. We can't react to this thing we never saw coming, right? And that's, I think, where we are now in 2018 where these companies, even if they're slow and lumbering, have to get stuff in place right now that's going to allow them to pivot faster. So what about Agile? Does that have to pivot? I think that Agile is a mindset, right? And I think that as a mindset, it's pretty well aligned, but a lot of our Agile practices probably have to pivot. Like there's practices now that are should that are and should be constantly evolving, for sure. Okay. Yeah, I, I, the, the thing, the quote, the line that sticks out for me from, from that Mike Beadle class, which was, a, which was a great class, um, he said, it's better to, it's, it's, quicker and easier to grow a unicorn than it is to transform a dinosaur. And okay. what we're seeing is these big organizations are finding it hard to reinvent themselves, but the newer ones coming up, um, I mean, it used to take years and years and years, decades yeah. to become a unicorn, and I think Oculus Rift just did it in 14 months, um, so they need to be mindful of that. So if there's an existing company that's been around for a long time, it might be easier to not transform to Agile. And it rather start a new company. It's well, definitely easier, but is it going to help them survive? Um, that's the other aspect of this, because there's what they value, and then yeah. there's what they need to do in order to stay relevant today. And, and maybe people don't realize what they need to do, because what worked yesterday is kind of not being so successful today. Okay. I, I mean, if you look at companies, like the major conversation you'll always hear, especially in prioritization, is keep the business running, 
and uh, invest into the future. And their constraint is always that it's the same people who keep the business running need to be able to help build a new future. Yeah. However, if I am bogged down with lots of work and everything else that goes around in a non-agile context, there is no, no mental space. There is no time. There's literally like no ability for people to pause, relax, and think about what do we want to do six months or six years from today. Okay. It's mostly a survival game. And that's part of the control culture uh, that struggles because the amount of control they have to let go when they start adopting Agile and implementing Agile, they're not prepared for the degree of control they have to relax. Okay, so there's going to be a cultural mindset shift at the top as well as not just the value system of the company, but their willingness to be open to destroying everything that they've learned so far to get to the next And I think as leadership, the messaging top down isn't we're making this change. What we got to understand is why were we making this change? Like, yeah. like it, it, it doesn't, you guys can't say do this stuff, right? You have to say, here's where we need to be. And that's why we do this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And that messaging has to be constantly reinforced. While I was just in a session today, I was talking to a woman there that's part of a big uh, transformation at a, a big bank. And they're told you have to refactor, you have to get test driven development in. But that's what they're told. They're not told why, why? right? Yeah. And she's like, I don't care. Make sure you have 80% unit code coverage. Just do it. Right, oh. but they're not told like like why it's important. But for wouldn't us. that even by itself just make things a tiny bit better? Probably. I think no. it would, but I think that just mindlessly saying "do it" is different to saying "hey, here's why it's important for us to do it." Right, and mm-hmm. I would even tell them that you have to do test driven development. What I would tell them is, that, look, our code quality is here, industry standard here. What are the thoughts? What can we do short term and long term to get our quality in a much better place? Because our customers are complaining, and our workforce is workforce isn't engaged because our code's too hard to maintain, right? And that's, that's key, right? You, you, you cannot give authority and self-organization without having alignment on the intent, right? And, and that's the why that, that Richard was just talking about. Like, if I don't know why, then I can't be expected to make a sound decision. I'm going to have to keep going up the chain. Whereas if I know what we're trying to achieve and I'm doing the work on the ground and I've got a ton of information about that, I'm going to make a great decision because it's going to be in line with the intent. Okay, so when you're working with an organization trying to suss out where their values lie, is it just management or is it the teams as well? I think the, the culture is driven from the top, the very top. Um, now, of course, it doesn't need to be the whole organization. It can be a department that, okay. that has a subculture um, and, and that's going to be very much the leader of that department who creates that. Um, but it's the, it's the leadership behaviors and it's the, the structures and policies that are put in place and they're put in place by the, by the leaders. So it's, it's mainly when we start in a conversation there, then, of course, you need to involve the teams in, in uh, the behavioral changes. Because it seems like that's how you validate whether or not their own... I was, I was at a company recently, and in this class, I had like senior management and I had teams, and management's like, oh no, everyone knows the vision of what we're doing and why, and they, they had rattled it off, like they knew it. And the people on the teams were like, we've never heard that before. The management was sure everybody in the company knew what it was. There's sometimes a total disconnect. Absolutely. Because the people who are who have heard it for the first time, we're never part of creating that vision with the management. So it's only the management who understands it deeply or probably even remembers it. And it, it it's a very common common pattern. We'll do an all hands meeting. Right. Uh, we will tell you what the vision is. Then we will tell you again. Then we'll send you emails, and then we'll complain. And then you have to go do it. That people don't listen. Yeah. And then we create something else. Because uh, the last one, people didn't understand. Okay. 
And you could short circuit all of this by bringing your company together and maybe even an open space event with the single goal of what's our vision, what do we want to be? So this is way beyond just practices of like teaching them Scrum or anything like that. It is. It's way, way beyond that. And, and so some of the criticisms about some of the, the, the training and, and coaching we do is that it only touches on processes and practices. Right. But, but that's what it's supposed to do. It doesn't mean you don't focus on, on the other things, right? Scrum doesn't tell me to eat breakfast, but I don't go hungry. But do we need then training on how to develop this flexibility? If you're talking about some kind of organizational transformation or realignment, I mean, you're talking about training as like one aspect of the overall effort, right? There's some training to get like some kind of shared understanding, base alignment, but you're going to talk about creating a transformation plan. There's a huge element of change management involved with it. There's a huge element of ongoing um, coaching, simulations, workshops, Q&As, briefings, role plays. I mean, there's a whole set of stuff. But not just around like doing Agile, but also to the thing you were talking about earlier with gaining that ability to innovate. I think a lot of it, well, I think a lot of what we're talking about is creating alignment and shared understanding, right? Creating alignment that this is the direction we're going on. Are we all on the same page, right? Or is it like you guys said earlier where, you know, leadership, we get it, but then middle management or or the grassroots don't understand it. It's it's far it's far beyond um, any individual practice. Just look at what um, what Scrum says about um, about the development team. Right, there's, there's no individual accountable for hitting that sprint goal. It's mutual accountability. Right. You go to most HR departments and, and say, how are you giving people bonuses? How are you promoting them? There's no mutual accountability for anything. I need to do my thing, and I'm going to do my thing over the team thing. And so it's just a mismatch there. So it's yeah. creating that environment where these practices can be effective. So this is like the appraisal thing's a really big deal. And I don't know an answer to that question. I get that question in every class. But right. Yeah, so if I just bonus the one person on the team, the rest of the team's going to be like, well, screw them. i got to get mine. Right. But how are you supposed to... Agile does not have an answer for that, does it? Agile well, doesn't, but I have organizations, an for that. other organizations do. Go around okay. Oh, uh, I mean, there's... Short of it, the, the idea I love... Uh, I'm no expert, but the idea I love is I love the idea of 360s where we're all going to rate each other. Right Now, what's going to happen is, what I've seen is that everyone's going to have a shared agreement like, we're going to be cool and we're all going to rate each other the same, right? That's the kind of yes, unspoken rule. However, however, there's two situations where that won't happen. What are the two outliers where that's not going to happen? Extreme cases. Yeah, where they're amazing or they're awful, right? And as an organization, I kind of expect everyone to be right here anyways and know what I really need to be aware of the extreme cases, right? So I love that idea of 360s um, for that standpoint. I don't think that's the only solution, but I love that feedback. I also love kind of like the direct um, incentives to performance feedback, but it's kind of ice weight tables. I used to bartend. And basically what happened every night is the better I worked, the more I got. Yeah, the tips you got. Yeah. The worse right. I worked, the worse but, it was. But what you're talking about, though, is that every single wave person in the restaurant has yeah. to be at that level, and you're all going to share your tips. So here was crazy, and this was a bit of a tangent. But uh, So I used to work in restaurants where everyone keeps their own tips, right? But that disincentivized uh, teamwork to an extent. I've also been in a restaurant where we pull our tips together, which initially I thought was stupid because I may be carrying all of us. Then as I worked there, you realize that it was the other way around. <laughs> no, I, well, I'm, I'm using the four of us as an example. Um, but then I realized it actually self-corrected because let's say that Dave Pryor obviously 
wasn't as good a waiter, right? The three of us would say, you know what? We don't want Dave working our shift, right? Like, I don't want to work with Dave anymore because he's dragging us. Yep. Or and maybe how can I help Dave become okay. better? Yeah, no, that's yep. fair too. 100% yeah. fair. Yeah. I think about what's best for you and what's best for the organization. Yeah. Right? And, and clearly getting everybody up to a better standard is better for the organization. Sorry, David, I jumped in. No, no, that's, this is perfect, uh, like, into it, because uh, the 360 reviews, we did that in my past company, and it did, did turn into a little bit of, uh, I'll give you a good review, give me a good review. So we got rid of that, and then we replaced uh, the 360 degree review, which would happen every six months, to every month, uh, asking just one basic question. Would you like to work with, here are your person. team members, and it's a yes and no, or a maybe answer, and that's it. If, okay. if you don't want to work with that person in your team, and if everybody doesn't want to work with that person, right. now we can talk about like how can we find that person a better team to work at, what's really going on. And you, that's where management becomes extremely important uh, about how they now approach the situation. Okay. So the thing I'm stuck on now that kind of is going off what you said a few minutes ago, most people in our age group and the younger age group. Our age group. Our age group. There's and, a wide range of ages in this okay. room. But let's go with it. People under the age of 50, okay, who were working. I'm under the age of 50. <laughs> Barely, but under. Um, we don't stay at companies very long, right? The, the, the whole idea of loyalty to the company that, like, my dad had, that's gone. So if we say, we want you to make your decisions based on what the best thing for the company is, that's great, and we'd all like to have that. But it's much more short term. Most people don't stick around now. Even the sea level doesn't stick around now. So let me let me throw yeah. in a why. Because um, latest figures from Gallup have thirteen percent of people engaged at work, right? What kept people at organizations like my parents' generation, what kept them there was stable employment, a decent salary Good health and pension. Well we don't need that back where I come from. But um, we don't have and a, and a decent a decent pension, right? Now the so-called millennials and, and a bit older than that, they don't want that. They want to be engaged. They want to be working towards some kind of uh, common purpose. They want self-organization. And so most most organizations aren't giving them that. And so they're like, all right, let's stay here. I, um, I don't get it. Whereas if you did create that environment, yeah, maybe they would step a little bit longer. Okay. It's a very no. It's a <laughs> much. Is making a very cranky face. No, it's it's a very very large <laughs> question, right? Uh, the the stable employment, pension, healthcare, all of that used to be true 30, 40 years ago. It no longer is. The trust got fractured, right? Right. So people exchange that stability for working long time. Now, if you don't have that 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 fair equitable trade of of safety for future, and you don't have a purpose, it's a huge problem. Right. Right. So. So you take care of yourself and your family and your own learning and your own growth, but going back to the make the decision on what's the best thing for the company, but, there, well, there's, a, me, there's a conflict. It, it is yes and no, because the, what trips me up is, is a lot of uh, executives, at least it was, a, it was a thing, where they would claim that I changed so-and-so company and we changed 5,000 teams, some ridiculously large number, and they would change the company they were working at and go do the same thing uh, at another organization. Right. To me, if you really change that organization to be this awesome place, why did you not stick around? Like well, maybe that needs to be the question. Do, do you want to keep working? Yeah. Because what is actually happening is a lot of folks are just claiming their um, stripes or badges 
without any understanding of what's going on, uh, showing short-term improvement, and then moving on to another organization and doing the same damage. So to try to tie it all together, if an organization wants the innovation thing and they want people to be thinking that way, they have to create a structure that supports it, and yes. an environment where people want to stick around and innovate for the good of the company because they're planning on staying in the company because the company's taking good care of them. So it's not because they are taking how you work, it's a, but it's, it's a value system and also how the company takes care of Because so if you improve what the you're doing, right? Because I imagine oh, yeah. I'm, I, I'm going to pick I'm going to pick a company at random. Like the was the the vision the mission statement of Tesla, right? To to transform the world's um, to to accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. If that's something that gets you out of bed, are you going to leave there to go and work? For an insurance company? Like or you're going to leave there and go smoke grass on a podcast. Well, I, I just <laughs> did, didn't want to go no there. There is no in this podcast. There is definitely no pot, pot going on here. But, but this is what I mean. Like people are more motivated now by maybe having an impact on the, yeah. on the world than they are by, by these other things that they used to be. So it's about creating that, that passion for people and what they're doing. Let me just tweak that just a little bit. One of the things I talk about in my classes sometimes is um, there's only two reasons. Like if someone's staying long working hard, working a lot of extra hours and all the stuff. Let's say someone's doing that at work. There's really two reasons why that happens, right? One is because they have to, and the other is because they want to, right? So if you're in an environment where you see people day and night just working all the time because they feel like they have to, right? That's not sustainable. They're going to leave. That is not great culture. Mm -hmm. But if you had an environment where people are there day and night working long hours because they want to, because they believe what they're doing or they like what they're doing or and it's because they're intrinsically inspired for whatever reason, it could be the mission of the company or it could be their own self-growth and their own like curiosity, but whatever it is, they begin the, the environment that kind of owns and and, um, and uh, promotes that, right? That's ultimately what, what you want, right? When I was in Singapore, I was in Singapore um, and I was a, a bus, actually, a bus photo took us on a tour of a, of a government startup in Singapore, and this was 7.30 p.m., and everyone was still there, but they were all like a younger group, and half of them were playing guitar, some were playing ping pong, some were um, playing video games, but they were also working as well, and you can tell what they had there was an environment where people are kind of gelled, where they're working, but they're enjoying it, which is fantastic. So yeah. the, the product isn't just the product that we build, but also the company is creating a product of the company as a place to work. Yes. Yes. See how that came all the way back around? Yeah. Because, see, what, what, you, what you're <laughs> saying is... To, we have to wrap it up now, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> all right, no, the, the structural change is, is important. No, you look at it, most companies uh, wanting to do digital transformation, right? but they still want to treat uh, their IT as a cost center. Yeah. You are dead uh, the moment you started that without addressing the root behind everything, right? So if you don't change that approach, through policies, through how you fund, through how everything else happens, uh, forget innovation. You're only going to be focused on reducing costs and not increasing value. So you, you see these little buzzwords popping around in the organizations when the actual change is extremely hard and difficult probably, but what needs to change is so simple uh, a blind eye guy can put his finger on in the company. Visually impaired. Visually impaired. Yeah, someone could just in a, in a dark room go and put their finger and say, this is where it hurts, so let's right. change this. But knowing to change it and actually doing that, that's the hard part. Or figuring out what the thing that causes the pain. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, so Kareem, if folks want to get in touch with you and actually find out what your talk is about, what's the best way to do that? There are a number of ways to do that. You can um, 
you can find me on 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 LinkedIn or Twitter. So at at Kareem Harbert, K A R I M H A R B O T. That'll find me. Or you can uh, you can check out um, you can check out my website um, agilecenter.com and you can find me on there and just ping me a mail and uh, we'll say hi. All right, Davos. Uh, you can find me on evolveagility.com, which is a website. Which is a website, and I hope uh, otherwise I'll have to explain my whole name, how to pronounce it, and etc. All right, and you want to talk about your MySpace page? Oh, so it's Davos like shovel. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Richard Chang, C H E N G. So on uh, Twitter, it's at Richard K Chang, C H E N G, or Richard Chang at e x c e l l a dot com, cool. or find me on LinkedIn. All right, guys, thanks for doing this. And now we're going to go back over and see the end. We're going you to, have re- to meet we're your group stage with our teams and yes. uh, try to explain where we've been for the last hour. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. Bye bye.